I don't abuse edibles, but some days I used to excess and I'm okay with that. Well, there are, there are days. I will fully admit that there are days where one of us comes downstairs and goes, I'm getting drunk tonight. It's happening. Like just brace yourself. (laughs) Exactly. You got, you got dibs. You got dibs of being the responsible adult for tonight. Exactly. Like I'm I'm calling it. it. Um, This is what is happening today. Oh my gosh. Welcome to episode 265 of Pup Theology Live. We are back. Uh, this is a weekly, starting now again into the fall, conversation on life and faith over a craft brew pint, a fine wine, or whatever happens to be in your glass. On today's episode, the Reverends Shannon Weston, Ogan Holder, and yours truly, Brian Burkoff, will address and engage what's happening through a theological lens with a good brew in hand. And whether you are a longtime listener, as far back as the eight seasons we've been doing the show, I mean, seven, because this is season eight, as we we did the math in the pre-show, this is season eight, technically. So whether you go all the way back or you are new, uh, you can get yourself some more content, as we just mentioned, the pre-show. You can become a supporter on Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash ptlive where you can get access to pre and post show conversation, uh, some access to some merch, all the fun extra stuff, because one hour of us is never, ever enough. So (laughs) patreon.com slash (laughs) the new folk don't know yet. Don't spoil it for them. So head over to patreon.com slash btlive. And as always, thank you to our current patrons. Today, we'll be discussing confidence, Yom Kippur, Burning Man, and kindness. So, as in tradition of our show, what are we drinking today, fellas? Brian, why don't we Um, start with you? What are you drinking? Oh, no. Go, Brian. Jump in. Listen, there was a gap. We can't have dead airtime. All right. You can't have dead airtime. Standard rule of radio. No dead airtime. Well, listen, Um, there's always editing later. Just saying. This is true. This is true. I was brought up on radio. Uh, I am I am in Casablanca, and I have the Moroccan local uh, flag beer, Especial Especiale, original. I think it's a lager. It's a pint. I don't know. It's basic beer here. That's what I got. Nice. You're basic, basic bitch of a beer. Exactly. And I am drinking... Uh, Local brew as well, Oval Beach Blonde Ale by Sagatuck Brewing, uh, brewed right here in Michigan. It is uh, 5% ABV and uh, yeah, a blonde ale. Nothing fancy, but you know, tasty. Shannon, what about you? I saved an Omega Gang for us um, from when uh, when we were up there. Um, so this is their wit um, from Omegang Brewery, uh, wheat ale brewed with orange peel and coriander, um, a traditional nice. Belgian style white ale 
refreshes the body and illuminates the spirit. Brewed with malted and unmalted wheat, as if anybody knew the difference. Spiced with coriander and orange peel, wit pours hazy, smooth, and flavorful. With aromas of citrus and clove, it shines brightly along with lighter fare. Salante. So, here we go. It's one of my favorites from them. It's an old, old standard. They are terrific. I love me some. They really are. Yeah, we were there and it was too cold to go to the brewery and like go around. So we're definitely having to go back. Although our friend, the reason why we were there, he moved. So we'll just have to find a reason to go on our own. (laughs) There you go. On to today's topics. So we've got some brews in hand, uh, but even earlier today when you were having breakfast, uh, do you have... Are you a cereal person, number one? And what is your go-to cereal? Or if you could have your choice of having a cereal, what would it be? I love cereal. Like I, when I'm by myself, like I eat cereal all day. I don't, um, like if I have, if I'm by myself, I there's a good chance I'm having cereal for dinner just as much as I, wow. I actually don't, um, I use it as a snack and like a dinner or lunch option, but I don't usually eat it for breakfast. Um, that said, like my go-tos are pretty basic. Like, um, I like Cheerios, like regular Cheerios and honey bunches of oats with almonds. Um, that one's good. But when kids have cereal, um, I love me some Lucky Charms. (laughs) Like that's my dessert at the end of the night. I hear hear you. I go honey bunches of oats with the almonds as well. And they're good. I, they're so good. It's it's really good. And I also throw in some raisins too um with it. Yeah. Interesting. So like a raisin um, brand honey bunches of oats. Exactly. Of exactly. Exactly. Uh because raisin brand, they used to, I think Post used to do like this raisin brand with almonds or or it's these, the crunchy uh, raisin brand. Right. It was a crunchy raisin brand, and then it had these these weird like like nut coated raisins so it's like they 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 crushed up they crushed up almonds or some other nuts and rolled the raisins in them and it was a whole thing so i try to recreate some that almonds in it. Um, what's the big deal i don't know <laughs> that sounds um, complicated think, well it was probably cost efficient because almonds got mm. real expensive well you and they can when, use when the, dry- the like leftover right? exactly yeah, exactly okay. so so there was that um and I, my, my childhood favorite cereal, which I will still sometimes defer to if I'm having a particular like need to eat my feelings week, I will go to Frosted Flakes and just eat them straight up the box dry because sugar, <laughs> I mean, that's got it what it is. Um, but what's most important is that I stop drinking, I stop drinking real milk dairy. So mm-hmm. I will, I will use Oat milk now is my go-to milk. Did you have to cereal. change cereals once you switched to different milk? Because I think I no. would have to change cereal. I, I I did not, but it was real important for me that my oat milk not. So when I was doing real milk, I could handle two percent milk, mm. but I couldn't handle like like there's like these um, oat milks that are. I don't know. They're not, they're not good. They're like, they're really not good. 
<laughs> so so I had to get like like the as extra far as I know oats oat don't milk so oats don't know. milk exactly <laughs> mostly water anyways but it's just starchy uh, water isn't it <laughs> like it pretty much is it have you ever is. tried a beer with cereal like a stout like a milk stout or something that no. does not sound good in any way did you do that on a dare or something like what I, were you hung like over I it, but and... i'm not sure if i actually have but i might have to now i mean i've cooked i've cooked with beer but like not yes. eaten it in cereal as a milk cereal. it might be awful <laughs> no but like you shannon i will also eat cereal for dinner and and the last few months i've been intermittent fasting Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, eat between 12 and eight in any given day. So some days, you know, I'm eating my bowls here at noon. Some days it's the last meal of the day. Um, but, but yeah, and I've been through a few cereal, um, as different types of cereal as well. I went through the, the, um, not, yeah, the Cheerios for a while. Cheerios, they're, they're just too cardboardy for my taste. Even the honey nut Cheerios, they're just... Ugh. I don't, I don't like the flavored. Now, if you get me into sugar cereals, like if we're out, um, like if you're at a hotel or something and there's not, there's like a continental breakfast and there's not like, I'll eat just about any of the sugar. Like I'll eat Fruit Loops. I'll eat um, whatever. Anyway, I I don't really like frosted flakes. Like that's not really my thing. So if I am eating cereal dry. Oh, look, Brian's here. (laughs) Yes. If I'm eating cereal dry, it is definitely Cheerios. Like. I love dry Cheerios and I add in cheese, like cheddar cheese. Like I will. Wait, what? I will take like a block of cheese, cut it into like. Do you bake it? Cut it into small pieces, sprinkle the cheese with the Cheerios. And it is a great snack. I even got my wife, Christy, into it. And it's a it's a regular staple for us. Agree to disagree on the great snack (laughs) proclamation. I knew it. On that, it like, sounds like horrible, the beer, good. The beer thing was disturbing enough, but that's like deconstructed, like grilled cheese, cheese and... or something. Yeah, like your it's milk like hasn't turned to almost. butter. Your bread <laughs> hasn't, like. Ugh, and then you drink gross. a V8, and it's almost like you're having grilled cheese and tomato. Sauce. Oh man, dude, oh, what is? Oh, you ruined it worse. You made it worse. <laughs> Are, are you all on some really hard times, folks? Send Brian some money, man. Because yeah, these, yeah, that, that, like... that was dinner for the last three nights. So <laughs> it, is like one of those, it is one of those things that I'm like, you know, if I like lived alone, I would save so much money because I would just eat cereal. Like, and cereal is not like super cheap, but it's cheaper than like a meal that you make. And I'm like, why don't we normalize that? Why don't we just normalize like well, everybody just eat cereal? For I'm dinner. the opposite of you. I other than Cheerios, I don't eat cereal. Like cereal with milk, I generally just don't have it. I'm a toast or eggs for breakfast. And mm. like I don't, our I, kids like I said, go through cereal. We go through a ton of cereal in our household, but not because of me. Our kids don't eat cereal. That's the thing. Um, See, what? Like even when we have, like we have cinnamon, like we have cinnamon toast crunch in the house right now. And like nobody's eaten it in forever. I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with them, but mm. whatever. Um, but Ogan, you mentioned eating your feelings, so it feels like a good segue. <laughs> oh, I should have gotten it down. For those who don't know, um, Derek, who's been a friend of the show and my husband has written a book called The Just Kitchen, 
Um, it is out now. It was number like 78 in gastronomic essays today on Ooh. Amazon. Um, it was supposed to come out October 10th. Amazon shipped it early. So everybody shipped it. It is now out. But he has a whole little essay on eating your feelings in here. So oh. anyway, check it out. I don't know exactly what page it's on. I, I, but you know, him and, and, and Anna, I don't know if Anna's been on the show, but definitely a friend of ours. Um, we'll have to maybe get a, them on. We should. You know. Okay. I'm going to right. Well, I got to go. I guess I got to go buy a copy now. Now that there's a yeah, whole eat, eat, eat your feelings section <laughs> or essay. It probably mentions Cheerios and cheese. I I doubt that. Now Derek is lactose intolerant, so he doesn't eat cereal. Of course, <laughs> it's, it's 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 not unjust kitchen. Come on, it's not the, that sounds like punish. It's not WTF kitchen. Exactly, that sounds like you're punishing somebody. Ugh. All right, moving into some theology. Hebrews ten thirty five in the New Testament says, "Do not throw away your confidence; it will be richly rewarded." So uh, question is, where do you lack confidence in your life? What contributes to this? And have you found ways to try to build confidence or counteract that sort of lack of confidence? Confidence. I'd also like to know when they say richly rewarded, what that means, because I've been very confident, sometimes overconfident. And I was going to say. And my, and my bank account does not reflect that. So I don't know what the rich reward is. All right. All right. Well, okay. Well, Brian it's not monetary. This, did Brian take Currently. this out of context? Possibly. Yeah. Let's look. It's, you it's, know, I got to look it up. You know, I got to like find it in the actual, you know. It's about confidence. I believe in your faith, confidence in God, confidence in Jesus, so, you know, holding that confidence will be reward. Like, you know, so like if you're being persecuted for your faith, trust in God sort of thing. I'm sort of moving it to more of the just general personal confidence for the sake of this conversation, but we could talk about both. And, so, and you're not in, in both in both cases, still no monetary reward. <laughs> Nobody said monetary. It does, uh, I know that's terrifying have to mean monetary. Hey, clarifying, clarifying for the listeners. Okay. Yeah. So in RSV, just, um, it, it doesn't disagree. It just rephrases it. Do not therefore abandon that confidence of yours. It will, it brings great reward. Yeah. Great um, reward. Great reward. Um, so I think that's a little better, great reward rather than richly rewarded. Um, and again, I think that's very Americanized to turn that into money. Well, it's very 2023 to turn it into monetary, richly rewarded. Right. But he's talking about um, he's talking about abuse and persecution, like as a follower, and um, like having passion, compassion to those who are in prison, and you yourselves possess something better and more lasting. Um, and, and, and also it, perse- perseverance under that perseverance and endurance. Yeah. 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 So like it's it's I mean, it's. It's the best confidence, right? It's the it's not egotism. It's right. like stay strong against the things that are hard in the world. Right. Or against the things that are pushing you away from faith yes. or, you know, I 
where do we lack confidence? How, I thought we only had an hour to do this. <laughs> and you want <laughs> to ask the question well, where I lack confidence? This is that's vulnerability what the hour with Shannon, <laughs> Shannon Weston. Seriously. <laughs> what contributes Seriously. to this? Well, it started with my mother. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't even, why am I laughing? It's pro- it I probably mean, ends with her as well. <laughs> hashtag funny, not funny. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> it's just the questions. I'm like, okay, I've been in therapy for 20 years talking about this stuff. Oh my gosh. I've been trying to do this show for 20 years instead of therapy. <laughs> Only eight, Brian. Only eight. Oh, the eight. Yeah. Eight going on 20, right, Ogan? Exactly. I I do think, though, if you, I mean, okay, let's take it to like, let's, but I, um, you know, so I'm trying to live into my call in a new way. Not trying, I am. I'm living into my call in this new way. And one of the things that when I first, like the first part of the year, one of the things I would say to people when they asked me how everything's going, and I said, you know, I'm, it's going really well, but there isn't, you know, I'd reached kind of a professional level or a mastery of my job, right? I'm not saying that I was perfect at it, or but there was like, I knew what to do in most situations. Like there was a, there was a mastery over that. Um, and if you want to know more about mastery, Sarah Lewis's book, The Rise is really fantastic, talks about it anyway. I but love there's that book. A, I love that book so much, but there's an ease that comes with that, right? Right. Yes. And so when you do something new or when you when you apply your gifts in a new and different way, it I'm very um secure in what I do well, right? Um but there's also like it takes this is where I think it relates to the confidence of it's not necessarily a lack of confidence in myself, but it is kind of keeping that confidence high because it's a little harder than it used to be, right? Mm -hmm. Or somebody isn't like, because your salary isn't linked to it or your salary, you know, your money is linked to it way more intimately than it was when you were salaried or whatever. So there is a a kind of, um, you know, keeping this confidence level up and having endurance around it and, you know, really fully, and I attribute that into like living fully into yourself, myself, you know, through this. So what contributes to it is just the newness of it, right? I yes. think when anything's really new for us, we have a tendency to, even though we know we're good at it, right? Or we have, you know, I know this is the right decision. There's there's a little bit of that waning confidence. Yes. And I, I was thinking similar, like for me, I, I often think of public speaking when it comes to confidence. And so, you know, as a pastor, you're doing this every week. And when I'm in my home congregation, it's no problem. You know, it's like riding a bike and I don't get that anxious. It's, you know, it's I know most of the folks, um, the visitors on a you know given Sunday, but it's all, you know, I I know the drill, but when I'm speaking at a different church or preaching else, guest preaching, or when I ran for office and I'm giving speeches left, right, and center to all these different groups, like every time that lack of confidence or that I'm a fraud, or they're going to know I don't really know what I'm doing, or I'm not good at this sort of rises up again, even though you feel like you've done work to get over that. And so I get what you're saying with the new setting, 100%. I, I I remember that one time we did that live recording at Wild Goose 
man. And you were, you were in a state. We had a, yeah, we, right. had a we had a pregame you a little bit. To yeah, yeah, yeah. How many beers can we get in this guy? <laughs> exactly. Um, but yes, uh, it, it, it's, a uh, it's that comfort. I think the confidence is very much run in parallel with our comfort level. Right. Um, which is mm. kind of what you guys were saying when we're, when we're comfortable, it's easier to be more, I think, confident. Um, and, you know, what takes away from that is again, to what extent we have that, that fraud complex um, playing, playing with us. And I think, you know, for, for me, speaking is speaking is not a thing that I get really anxious about anymore. I'm very confident. But interestingly enough, when it comes to writing, that gets me every damn mm-hmm. time, right? And this is coming from someone who's I published a book. I, I I write for a magazine, and and I got a I got a column. It's not even like I'm a guest writer. It's like it's a regularly occurring column. And sometimes I'll even write longer feature articles. Uh, you know, I'm I got a blog that I write for occasionally and in spite of all the positive affirmation and validation that people give me around my writing like it is still some of them like I still don't feel confident as as a writer and and you know writers will tell you it's all in the editing like I mean I'm sure if you spoke to Derek he probably spent more time going through the edits and the rewrites than the actual writing of the, of the, of the book. And for me, it's, there comes a point where I just have to literally force myself to go, okay, hit publish, you know, on this post, because otherwise I will sit there and second guess and second guess and second guess and, and edit and rewrite and reword. And all of that is grounded in still this lack of confidence that I have that I am even a, on my best day, a half decent writer. Well, and I, and that's what I was going to like the overcoming of that. Um, I was in a training last week and um, as a, as a trainer, I often say things like, I know that you know how to do this, but we're asking you to do these things in a new way. So it's going to feel uncomfortable, right? So here I am in this like conflict resolution, conflict mediation training. And there, and I'm the way that I described it to Derek, I was like, I am a bodybuilder who's being asked to do yoga. Like I have all the muscles to do this, but I don't use them in this way. Right. So it's, it's, asking something of my brain and and I was thinking about it I was I was very comfortable doing it because I gave myself the permission to like do it badly right like hey yes you're very good at this but you're asking you're trying something new and you're doing it in a new way and two like I really did just convince myself that I could do it like you could like there was just this you know how to do this. You can do this. You're just doing something mm-hmm. new. No big deal. And like, I've found that in terms of confidence in, and I think that's what we experience from other people who we see are confident, right? Um, we, that there's a little bit of like, no, I'm not sure it's going to be successful every time, but I'm going to go in there. Like it is, I'm going to, I'm going to trick myself into feeling. Yeah. And you, know, you can almost like lean on 
prior successes where times where you did stretch yourself and it went, you know, it went okay. You got through it. Maybe even you did great and just like own it, like a little bit of like self pumping yourself up. Like, Hey, you've done X, Y, and Z. You can do this. And, and you will do this. And if you quote unquote fail, you can try again. Right. Or it's not for me. And, and like, if it's not for me or it's not going to happen this time, then I get to decide whether or not I do it again. Like, and I, I think sometimes that true confidence, that real confidence, and I hate to say this, but like, I think it does come with some age and some trial and error and some failing and succeeding and, and that ability to like, kind of shake it off, you know, of like, it's okay, you know, anyway. Yeah. But yeah, I trick myself. I, that's how I build confidence. <laughs> that's the takeaway, friends. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> All right. So uh, this past weekend and concluding yesterday was Yom Kippur, which itself concludes a 10-day period known as the Days of Awe that begins with the Jewish New Year called Rosh Hashanah. And Jews around the world uh, face their misdeeds and sins over the past year through worship and prayer um, so that they may atone for their wrongdoings. And and so, you know, in facing God in this way, they're seeking forgiveness and so on. And so it's a time to self-reflect on self-failings, on flaws, on ways you'd like to, uh, you know, do better. And um, once you atone, it's thought to be starting the new year with a quote-unquote clean slate absolved of past transgressions. And many observant Jews also fast uh, as a part of this um, day, Yom Kippur, from sunset to sunset, abstaining from food and water. And then families, friends, sometimes congregations will gather to break the fast at sundown and have food together so I, I guess the question for us is discuss the power of a tradition like this, reflecting on one's wrongdoings in sort of a communal sense. And is there a corollary to that in Christianity or other traditions? And um, if not, you know, what might we be missing out on? I'd say the the, the power of doing it in, the, in a communal setting is that the support is built in. You're not you're not isolating yourself, beating up on yourself, feeling guilty and ashamed necessarily, which I feel tends to come a little bit more with the with the with the Christian the Christian idea of reflecting on your wrongdoings, um, and the fact that it is it is a ritual coming together means that it's also not something redundant, but it's it's community building. Um, as well it's it's we we've all done something none of us are perfect we've all quote unquote sinned in some way we've all failed we've all got the flaws and we're going to come together to acknowledge that together for me it it sounds like a very humbling experience and also a very edifying experience at the same time i think with with at least my experience of Christianity is that there's this there's this I don't know this, this sense of shame and guilt often associated with acknowledging your your sins your your wrongdoings like you know and and in the Christianity sense there's often this implicit idea of punishment that comes along 
with it as well, whether we say we're punished by our sins or for our sins. There's always this hint of of there there will there will be a price to pay for what you did. I mean, um, we I killed a man, Ogan. <laughs> a man died for our sins. Like if that doesn't do it for us, you know. <laughs> you know, there's that. There's that. <laughs> I don't get the sense. Again, I'm not Jewish, but the folks, the Jewish folks that I know who have spoken about participating in this ritual, there isn't that sense of there's going to be punishment. Mm. It's more it's more about let's just set our record straight. Yeah, sort of deal. right. Yeah, I think so, too. I um, and I know that for some, it's just one of those oblig- like obligatory. I have to go with my family to, you know, it becomes a show for some. But I love the there's I love everything around the purpose of Yom Kippur, even the Erev Yom Kippur, like the night before where you atone for your sins against humanity because you can't go before God before you've, you know, atoned with your fellow human. I I just, I love everything about the, the religious concept of it. Hmm. Um, I think that a, we, you know, so there's like Catholics have confession, but like you said, it's not corporate. It's you, you go in shame to the little box and right. <laughs> just sit there and talk to the priest. You get put in time out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, don't get me wrong. Like, right. Personal confession has its place. I, I think that also is very healthy. But can it elevate um, that shame element that like you do it? It out certainly of sight, can. You do it individually. I feel like it can. I just think. as much as I think making a person, a person make a personal confession publicly also oh, yeah. i mean i think that's so much worse right well, and then you've got the elders and deacons yelling shame shame <laughs> shame what what was that um that fundraiser <laughs> where hannah um what's her name would would for like twenty five hundred dollars yeah, yeah. would Hannah follow somebody around hannah waddington would follow somebody around yelling shame at them i love it i was like that's mm-hmm. awful <laughs> and awesome. like there are some petty ass people with twenty five hundred dollars um right. no but i i think so like we have a corporate confession in our weekly worship service, which is, I think, trying to get at this, yeah. but I, I think where Christianity comes the closest is the season of Lent mm-hmm. and that it's trying to do this, but it doesn't explicitly, like there's not a ritual, an explicit ritual around atonement. Um, we, we pass it off on Jesus, right? We don't need to atone because Jesus did it. Right. And, and I, I struggle with that. I think there's really some one-on-one time we all need to spend with God. Like, Hey, you know, this is, this is some time we need to spend together where I need to talk about this, um, about where I've fallen. And again, and again, if Jesus died for sins, why are you giving me a hard time for my sins? Aren't they covered? But see, that's th- well, that's the dangerous rhetoric cycle, right? It, like it's a both and, right? It's like, well, I died for you, so yeah, feel horrible for your sins, right? So stop it already. And you're like, yeah, well, but yeah. like you also created the world where I have free will, and like, ah. I I I feel I feel I'm obliged to give a give you a reason to have died for me, <laughs> right? <laughs> you, you need to do your part. <laughs> Exactly. If you die for my sins, I should be sitting so you didn't die in vain. Does I that mean, work retroactively, a, though? Like it's a very fair. Well, it, I think 
Martin if Luther he's already died for my sins, it's already retroactive. Yes. I mean, exactly. these are the questions I certainly asked in <laughs> Sunday school, which is thus why I was asked to not come back. But nonetheless, right? Like, yeah. And Martin Luther also, said, I don't believe in that shit anymore because it didn't make sense. <laughs> Luther said, if you're going to sin, sin boldly. It's like Christ paid for your Isn't sins. Isn't that like, a hall yeah, pass if I've ever heard idea. one? Like, come exactly. on. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of religious uh, traditions and rituals um burning man which just had sort of a more of a wet Has man uh no religious with, tradition with with the rain that flooding a, but this is the it was a, it was a muddy man gathering in the salt flats of black rock desert in northwestern nevada acclaimed for its hedonism and drug taking and public nudity and so on, but also has its spiritual side. They have 10 guiding principles, a non-denominational temple, recurring burning rituals. And in recent years, religious groups have been sort of carving out a space as part of this event, offering judgment-free, radically inclusive rituals that seem to grow more popular every year. And I find that interesting because you might think of this as a sort of beyond religious religious space or a non-religious space. Uh, but 14 years ago, uh, a camp or a part of this uh, founded by Jewish members called Milk and Honey hosted a 30-person Shabbat that now has sometimes over a thousand people. And uh, mainline Protestantism, Protestantism has a space that they call religious as camp, a religious AF camp. And they offer things like morning devotions called For Christ's Sake <laughs> and talks on Jesus psychedelics and coffee and confessions. Anyway, so the point is discuss this growing pull to even some traditionally uh, religious or religions like Judaism and Christianity in this place where you might think people are beyond religion. And how might some of these creative practices spark ideas for more traditional churches or faith communities? Well, it tells me that just church is boring AF. So people are going to go find some fun. And I, I, I kind of say that half jokingly, but I really think this is why, you know, over the last few decades, few and for fewer and fewer people are showing up to church on, on Sundays. It's mm -hmm. for a lot of people, it's not engaging enough for a lot of people. It truly compartmentalizes your spiritual life from the rest of your life and there is no compartmentalizing it it's it's all one and the same um and and i think people got tired of the i have to be either or i think this is now a really embracing the both and of all the aspects of um a person's life i think i think churches not that churches should go set up you know many burning men events in their backyard but oh, i what? think it says something if people are um willing to do that i it's weird i both want to go to burning man and i will you will never find me at burning man <laughs> at the same time it's it's a it's like the the you know we talked we talked earlier about confidence <laughs> like ah. like my inner my inner introvert is just mm. like just like already having a, a panic attack just thinking about about being there when i see pictures of what's going on but i would love to show up for the hedonism i would love to show up for all the weird shit that happens right up my alley i just can't do it with like ten thousand people 
or however many thousand people show up. And somebody said to me, you know, they have these little mini Burning Man events that happen around the country. So I might check one of those out. There you go. But you're not getting me in a desert. Right. <laughs> with, with all those people. Stuck in the mud for 20 days. <sighs> right. Oh it does make me wonder. I mean, one, yes, like we've been saying this forever. And people like us have been saying this forever, that like the church needs to go out into the world where people are and where people are gathering. So on one hand, applause for that. And what what I'm wondering, especially the way that this was described and written, like one of the things that I'm wondering is, is that people are having a connection to their historical faith of their family, right? In some way. Mm -hmm. So we have multiple generations now that were not raised in a church, but that there is a, I'm wondering in this, this is like, I don't have, I don't know, I don't have the science to back this up, but like that the people that are kind of drawn to these events are kind of wondering why their family were Christians or why their family, like this is part of my, of, of my family's history and heritage. And I'm, I'm curious about what it's about or whatever. Right. Like, and, and that's interesting to me in terms of a takeaway from what the church could learn from that um, is that there's, there might be curiosity. So like if, if I wasn't a pastor and our kids weren't raised in the church, like, my parents raised us in the church, but they don't go to church now. Like they really, it really wasn't since my grand, my grandparents. So my kids, great grandparents that were genuinely like historically religious. Um, and so I, I think that my kids would, my kids, friends have a curiosity about church and about religion in a way that is, might be new and might be something that could be tapped into you know, I don't know. Yeah. And this one, you know, we have this quote from a religious leader at Burning Man who says, uh, many people who come to us have already experienced religious trauma and spiritual abuse. And, you know, and a place like Burning Man uh, is where they are on their own journey of meaning making. And when they discover in that setting, some traditionally religious practices but kind of done in a new way they're like wow this is radically inclusive and welcoming and i'm experiencing it anew and it like breaks people into tears and i think that's beautiful mm -hmm. and you know long to see churches be this people to think of church in this way but unfortunately we know they don't too often but i think it's a glimpse of what spiritual community can be it's so interesting. I went to a couple of weeks ago, I went to our son's like um, parent, you know, parent night at the middle school and he's in seventh grade and they're studying um, the Roman empire. And, and I know the meme that goes around right now, right. About how many times men think about the Roman empire in a day or whatever. Um, but, can, can, but can I just say when that meme came out, I, for one was like, wait, what? Cause <laughs> never, never happens. Like, like what is I this? had so I reposted it and I had multiple people who were like, okay, so I asked my husband without any context whatsoever, and he was like every day. 
So like, the, I don't understand. Really, I don't understand. I mean, what? Derek's comment is like the Roman Empire sometimes, but like Star Wars every day. You know, Marvel every day. Like, you know, let's let's. Yeah, yeah. For I me, mean, this it is a man who like disc golf. Yeah, football. Right, right. But anyway, I I just I forget where I was going now. <laughs> Oh, Sorry, but they're studying. No, no, no. But they're studying the Roman Empire. And it was so interesting because this history teacher was like, including the impact of the church on that time period. And I was like, oh, nice. they're still studying because they, I mean, it makes sense that they would study the church in history class. Um, like I was a music major in my bachelor's and in music history, we studied the church. There was obvious reason for that, right? Because there was secular music and there was church music and both of them changed right. music in the world. Anyway, right. but so kids are still studying the church in a way that I think piques a curiosity of like, yeah. well, I, what I'm seeing on TV, what I'm experiencing is very different than I'm, I'm curious about this thing, you know? Yeah. I, I, I think, and I think what what also the thing that Burning Man raises is again that continual uh, redefining or e or evolving of the definition of what it means to be Christian, what it means to be spiritual. You know, to tie into our last question, what it what is sin? What it means to be sinful? What is yeah. holy? What is not holy? And and for so long it was just this one narrow definition. And people are beginning to go like, but wait a minute, is is that true? Mm. And, you know, uh, a good example of that was at, um, at a, oh, my God, what's it called again? Where we recorded out in the field. Wild uh, Goose. Um, Wild Goose, wow, thank you. You just made it go from my head, too. <laughs> right? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. Yeah. One more year being 40. I can't imagine what my 50s is going to be like. Um, but anyways, uh, at, at Wild Goose, um, and I think they had a, uh, a session about this last year. But here we uh, this year, there was a whole day, a whole uh, um, set of workshops um, devoted to to discussions around Christianity and sex and, and discussions around non-monogamy and kink and BDSM and going like, yeah, there, there are us folks who can consider ourselves very spiritual and very Christian who engage in these activities and don't see it as a sin and don't see it as an abomination or anything. But there was a time where it was painted that way. To this day, it's still being painted at that way. Right. So here is so I think this is just an extension of going like, no, we we I an individual, I have this connection to spirit, to the universe, to God, to whatever. It is real, it is intimate. And I am also a person who, you know, engages in kink or who is non-monogamous or who does all the things that happen at Burning Man. Right. Fill in the blank. And fill in the yeah. blank. And why and who is to who is to say that those two things can't coexist, mm -hmm. right? Um, and who who gets to be the judge of what is holy and what is not holy, right? Because even when you, me, when you when you read the gospels, there were there were things that Jesus was like, "This is cool," and people were yeah. like, "What do you mean? That's not okay." Well, but I think that's one of the big takeaways for all of this conversation is like, 
if we were to show up, if, if we as the church people were to show up at events, getting deeply curious about other people and their lives or their interests, right? Or, you know, in Burning mm-hmm. Man, like that's a big art, you know, there's a lot of art installation and things like that. Like, what if, you know, what do you find interesting about this, whatever? And and getting curious about it there rather than showing up and and trying to fit them into the religious life, right? right. Saying, oh, you know, I call like that feeling that you're, you know, that you can't place in your body. I call that a soul. And this touches my soul in this mm-hmm. way. And so I just, I think the takeaway is to stop trying to make us fit into the world in some way or, or push an agenda. Um, and, and to just kind of show up where people are yeah, and get curious about it. I, I think that's a huge takeaway. I think about how that would shift in a community gathering, right. Or something of that sort. Um, how much healing and love that would provide. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. As oh, you yeah talking, which reminds me. Sorry, go ahead, Brian. Well, I was going to say, as you were talking, Ogan, about the workshops at Wild Goose, I just uh, thought of this meme or this, you know, that's going around that says, if God didn't send Jesus Christ into the world to condemn the world, he probably also didn't send you. <laughs> facts. So true. Facts, facts, facts. Um uh, true story. Uh, a few weeks ago, I randomly received a message from my mother uh, back in Barbados, who says, I just watched this documentary around how um, folks with Parkinson's, um, not Parkinson's, uh, with sorry, Alzheimer's, dementia, Alzheimer's. and um, have been using uh, lots of marijuana and is actually like helped not just manage, but even reverse some of the symptoms. What do you know about, what do you know about marijuana? <laughs> right? You know who so again, you have, my, again, my mother, a person who, you know, very, very much, she's come a ways, but still very, you know, traditional slash evangelical in her, in her Christianity. And I said to her, so she messaged it, she texts me on WhatsApp and I WhatsApp her back. And I said, I said, I know a thing or two. In fact, I was pretty much high all of yesterday. When I come home, you and I'll smoke a joint together. It'll be fun. And I hit send and I kid you not, within two seconds, the phone rings. She's calling me. I'm like, oh, shit. So it was, it She's was like, innocent. When so no- were you diagnosed with Alzheimer's? And why yeah. didn't you tell me? <laughs> right. So, so the, so the, inter- so, you know, highlights of the conversation are um, my grandfather, he died from Alzheimer's. And as he was, and as the symptoms began to appear, right, and this was 20, oh God, what year was this? 2017, I think, or 2018. As the symptoms began to appear, there were some folks in Barbados um, who were saying to my mom, you should give him some weed, give him some weed that would help. Mm-hmm. And she was like, first of all, no, that's, I'm not doing that. Cause a weed illegal and B you smoking drugs. That's, that's a sin. We're not, we're not defiling the body that is our temple in that way. Right. Did so she, take she blood pressure medicine, like, <laughs> okay, don't get me started. Don't get me, right, don't get me started. Sorry. Don't get me started. Please, I'm tr- I'm trying to get her to take the damn insulin for her diabetes. That's a whole right. battle. Anyways, yeah. but but you know, because of how you know things like 
weed, things like psychedelics have been, uh, you know, demonized, criminalized. It's like, therefore, it's wrong. So she so she never explored that with him. But now she's watching this documentary and I think she's having some regrets. I think she's having some Mm. thoughts of maybe I should have done that. So now she's curious. Now she's curious. And 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 of course, now she's like, well, first of all, it's illegal in Barbados. And I'm like, there are ways what I didn't. (laughs) You know, she's like, do you smoke weed when you were here? So, of course I do. Of course I do. She goes. How can you do this? I'm like, I don't think the police are gonna like raid the back bakery, the you know, the back balcony of the bakery. Like, that's not a thing that's gonna. I mean, if we one. start selling it out of the bakery, that's a whole exactly. different thing. But you know, like, you know, exactly. Yeah. If you start putting it in, putting it in the jam pops and the salt bread, we're gonna have it. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> you know. So I was like, I'll I'll sneak in some edibles for you next time. And she's like, No, I don't want you to put yourself at risk. I said, Well, what if you came here? What if you came here and you were in a state where it's legal? And she goes, Yes, I would be interested. So now there's nothing I want to do more than get high with my mother. <laughs> you are I, such a weird man. <laughs> I I I I told this story to Joy, and Joy was like, Oh my God, can you imagine all three of us high together? <laughs> It would be hilarious. But but conversation ends with me saying to her, yeah, I don't do a lot of smoking. I more do edibles. And, you know, currently, like, I may get high once a week or sometimes if it's a really bad week, maybe or a good week, (laughs) you know, maybe two or three times. And my mother said to me, Okay, you're on the right track. Now, if anyone had said to me that my mother would say you're on the right track around using pot, wow. I would have been like, what parallel dimension are you in? Right. Well, so, I will, I mean, I will say this, and and I don't um like Johns Hopkins does a lot of research around trauma healing and the use of psychedelics. And mm-hmm. they yep. have used like spiritual, like they've asked for clergy in their trials because they want people with like a deep spiritual connection to try this and, and to see how this is related to, you know, this sense of spirituality, like they're doing research on this. Um, Maryland, you know, um, weed became legal in Maryland in in July to everyone, not just medical marijuana, but wait, um, just July, let's go Maryland. Just July to everyone. Yeah. Recreational. Yeah. We voted, we voted it in last November. It was, started July 1st. You obviously, if you had a medical marijuana card, quite frankly, wasn't hard to get a medical marijuana card, but like, you know, you didn't have to go through an extra step um, to get one, but there, you know, there's been a lot of research on um, even just the use and I'm not here to convince anybody, but like we were talking earlier about like, I'm here to to convince you. (laughs) Well, no, but, but there's been a lot of research on like creativity, like tapping into one's creativity. And there are certain strains that do that better. And, and it's like, you know, sometimes we do need help in these ways and and none of us are advocating abuse of this, but there, there are tons of different ways of, I mean, part of the reason it's not the beer that we are convinced that if three people sit around a table and drink a beer together, that they're more likely to find common ground, but the beer doesn't hurt. Let's be honest. right? Right. Now right. five mirrors might hurt or 10 beers might hurt. Like that's a whole nother right. like level. Either they're 
depending on the kind of drunk they are, they're going to love each other or end up fighting. But nonetheless, you know, but there's a reason for this kind of tapping into this otherliness and going to a different place in our brain. Um, So I don't know. And and for and I think for too long, like Christianity and holiness has been associated with purity and purity has been narrowly defined as basically, I mean, nothing fun. Right. Uh, Right. Abstinence from anything that brings pleasure. There's been a real like correlation between holiness and anti-pleasure. And I think more and more people are beginning to, to disconnect those, disconnect those things because which I'm is having the power pleasure. The burning man connection to spiritual traditions, I think. That's what, well, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. People are beginning to go like, like, you know, because I think I remember growing up, there was this sort of narrative in my, in my church that your pleasure is in God and right. God's pleasure is in, is in you. Like the only pleasure you're finding is in terms of praise and worship and having an experience with God. Anything outside of that is not holy. Or your pleasures Christian. are shaking your think... finger at all those sinners. <laughs> there's, there's well, that, and right? one of the, I mean, one of the dangers of this, which is why, like, I kind of bring the over, like, so there's Burning Man, which I'm sure there's abuse of, you know, some some substance that's going on but you know when i talk about being in at things like wild goose or things um you know we used to run a conference and and there there were tipping over levels right there were like things where people are like hey people are drinking too much or they're you know whatever too much and i'm like don't you like this isn't it's not the fault of the conference that this happens what the right. problem is, is that this is one of the only few places people have to let go. Yeah. And so, yes. you know, for Burning Man, I, I would say that's also true, right? Like there's if there's a space to actually like let go and have some freedom. And sometimes we respond with abuse of alcohol or drugs or whatever else, because the rest of the life is so stifling, which is why I think it's important that we be very open and progressive religious leaders there to like, let's talk about that, you know, like, let's, let's talk about the rest of your life. And you use the word abuse. And I would say, um, excess sometimes, you know, the, the, that, that line between excess and abuse gets very blurred. So maybe at a specific event where you really use to excess, um, is different than you, you don't have, any control of this substance over you in your daily life. So, so two different things. I'd just like to point that out. I don't, Uh, I don't abuse, I don't abuse edibles, but some days I used to excess and I'm okay with that. (laughs) Well, there are, there are days. I will fully admit that there are days where one of us comes downstairs and goes, I'm getting drunk tonight. It's happening. Like just, Brace yourself. <laughs> exactly. You got you got dibs. You got dibs of being the responsible adult for tonight. <laughs> exactly. Like I'm, I'm calling it. it. Um, this is what is happening today. Oh my gosh. <sighs> well, thank you, friends, for tuning in to Pub Theology Live. You can show your love for the show by becoming a supporter on Patreon. Get access to pre and post show banter and more. Visit patreon.com slash PT live to get started. And a big thank you to our current patrons. 
Listen anytime on SoundCloud, Stitcher, um, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Top cities this week. How do we have top cities when we haven't People been on? Tuning in, baby. All right. They were <laughs> Beaverton, Ohio, Boyton, Virginia. Beaverton, Boynton. Oregon. I'm sorry, Beaverton. <laughs> May adjust my glasses. Beaverton, <laughs> Oregon. <laughs> Boys in Virginia and Frankfurt, Germany. Whoever's what? watching Germany, thank you. Um, you can watch videos from these conversations on Facebook Live. And if you'd like to start a pub theology gathering in your town, find support and resources at pubtheology.com. Can, can the listener in Frankfurt get us over there for Oktoberfest? Just Let's do it. I mean, that is quick, but I'm, I'm ready to go. My bags will be packed. Um, until next time, friends, drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing. I will talk to you later. Next week, Season eight. same time. Woo! Same time, same place. Here we go. All right. All right, later. All right, see you then. <laughs>